If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a coaching and creativity superstar. Michael Bungay-Stania is the senior partner and founder of Box of Crayons. On the way to founding Box of Crayons in 2002, Michael lived in Australia, England, the United States, and Canada, which is now his home. He's written two books, the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Coaching Habit, and Do More Great Work. To balance all this out, Michael was banned from his high school graduation for the balloon incident, was sued by one of his law school lecturers for defamation and managed to give himself a concussion while digging a hole as a laborer. Whoa, we've got to talk about some of that. (laughs) He was the first Canadian coach of the year as a Rhodes Scholar and in 2016 was recognized as the number two coaching guru in the world. Michael, it is a true pleasure to welcome and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Hey, I'm very happy to be here. So thanks for having me along, Susan. Michael, I can't leave our listeners hanging without asking you about (laughs) that balloon incident. So tell us more. You know, honestly, it's an okay story. And the summary being, we wanted to cause a bit of chaos and havoc on our last day at high school. The headmaster was not at all keen on that. It was his last day of high school as well. He was retiring after 35 years. So there were security guards. We were banned from doing anything. A friend and I went into the chapel because we were at a Christian school and filled the conical roof of the chapel with a whole bunch of balloons because we thought that was pretty fun but innocuous and caused no damage. But they didn't see it the same way as we did. So hence getting banned from the graduation ceremony at high school. That's wonderful. I can just visualize that. So let's start talking about some of the concepts in your best-selling book, Do More Great Work. You talk about a simple model of turning good work into great work. Can you tell our listeners how they can benefit from this wise strategy? The simple model that's at the heart of Do More Great Work is that everything you do falls into one of three different buckets. It's either bad work, good work, or great work. Bad work, you could put it down to kind of mind-numbing, soul-sucking, life-crushing, waste-of-time work. You know, the stuff that makes you go this is my life and I'm doing this. What happened here? Good work is best described as your job description or business as usual. So it's getting things done. It's keeping things moving and it's perfectly okay, but you feel a little bit stuck in a comfortable rut. Whereas great work is the work that has more impact and the work that has more meaning. So it has both sides to it, both the external, this makes a difference, but also the internal this is what I care about. This is what I light up about. And when you're in the conversation about book marketing, it just might be useful to think about how could this model frame what you do and how you do it. Here's what I think is the challenge of book marketing. First of all, your publishers are terrible at it. Many of you will be self-publishing, and I self-published my last book. 
but some of you will have your own publisher and many of you will have Susan as your publisher. And of course, Susan's probably brilliant at the marketing stuff, but traditional publishers, terrible at it. One of the things that I think is useful for every author to go is to go, you know what? It's almost killed me to write this book. But actually, if this book is going to succeed in a way of out in the market, if you care about that, I've got to get a handle on the marketing. I've got to take responsibility for that. But then you face this daunting task, which is there's an endless amount of time and money you can invest into marketing. What's actually going to work? It's impossible to do it all. You know, you could have a budget of a million bucks and you're still going to struggle to get it all done. You've got to be thoughtful. You've got to be particular. You've got to try stuff out. And you've got to go with the stuff that you care about and that you think is going to make the difference. In some ways, that bad, good, and great work model could be applied to going, how do you choose what to do? And I have a really strong opinion on this. I think that one of the things that many authors fall for is trying to do 16 things a little bit rather than doing five things really, really well. You know, we try and do, I'm going to do a three podcast interviews. I'm going to do a couple of radio interviews if I'm lucky. I'm going to write a guest post. And surely that's enough because, quite frankly, I'm exhausted having got my book out into the world. And I think it's like you know, pick two or three tactics that feel like they're going to make a difference and that you care about and kind of play to your strengths and then really do them. Here's an example. The Coaching Habit. This book came out in uh, February the 29th, 2016. My goal with my team has to be to do two podcasts per week every week since then. So what's that, 14, 15 months? So what's that, 90 weeks? What's that, 180 podcasts? I've done a lot of podcasts because for me, this plays to one of my strengths and I enjoy doing it and I think it's one of my key marketing strategies. Susan, that's an enormously long answer. People have probably forgotten the question, but <laughs> well, <laughs> where do you want to go from here? First of all, I'm sending you big hugs because you're saying all the right things as far as I'm concerned with regard to the marketing, because you're absolutely right. People get scattered like spaghetti and or confetti is the word that I wanted to say. Or spaghetti. If you're, yeah. a, if you're clumsy with spaghetti, you may be scattered like spaghetti as well. Exactly. <laughs> so... We get stuck and we get stuck in these vicious cycles. You talk about that in your book as well. Talk to us more about those vicious cycles that we get stuck in. So the coaching habit is written for people who want to be more coach-like with all the people they work with. It's written in part with managers in mind, but it's really if you interact with other human beings, you're going to find this book useful. And the three vicious circles we talk about are Number one, an over-dependent team. You know, this is like somehow the more they come to you for advice, the more you give them advice. The more you give them advice, the more they come to you for advice. And in the end, they become completely disempowered and you become completely overwhelmed by that particular dynamic. The second vicious circle is just being overwhelmed, right? The more you try and do, the more you lose your focus. The more you lose your focus, the more you try and do. The more you try and do, the more you lose your focus. And so it goes. So you get that sense that, I bet lots of people are feeling right now, it's like, I've got too many emails, I've got too many commitments on my calendar, I've got too many responsibilities, I'm never going to get on top of it all. Even though I carry my gadget around with me every hour, I still don't get on top of it. And then the third one, kind of connecting back to the bad work, good work, great work that we've already talked about, is to feel disconnected. You feel disconnected from the work that matters. You know, the kind of the less impact you have, the more you kind of give up, the more you give up, the less impact you have, and that vicious circle unspirals like that. My experience, Susan, is everybody's got one of those at least that they go, oh my goodness, I totally get that one. 
But for many of us, actually, all three of those kind of have a degree of resonance to them. Very much so. And I wanted you to speak more about the overwhelm because we live in this age of overwhelm. I mean, there's so much information out there. And as you said earlier, you know, people get very scattered with what they do and then they feel that they're not doing enough. And you do, you sort of get into this vicious cycle of overwhelm. How do we get out of that? That's a great question. Here's what lies at the heart of getting beyond overwhelm. Two parts. The first is know what you're trying to achieve. The second part is say no to all the stuff that doesn't contribute to knowing what you want to achieve. <laughs> now, easy to say, hard to do. So, you know, in the context of this conversation about book marketing, what are you trying to achieve with your book? It's not going to be a New York Times bestseller or a Wall Street Journal bestseller. You're not going to get on a list unless you're willing to fork out 200 grand to one of those people who get you onto the list. It's almost certainly not going to get onto the list. It's a bit like trying to get onto Oprah, you know, 10 years ago. It's like probably not going to happen. And as they say, hope is not a strategy. You may not want to set yourself up for some unrealistic goal like that. So you may go, I'm trying to sell X thousand copies of my book, or even more subtly, and I think sometimes more powerfully, is to articulate the process that you're committed to rather than the outcome. And Susan, you're, you're the expert here, so you may be able to help us all, but I find it nearly impossible to guess how many books you're going to sell. Now, the coaching habit has been an amazing success for me. It sold about 200,000 copies since we launched it 14 months ago. Honestly, that's probably at least 190,000 copies more than I was expecting. I just don't know how people guess how many copies are going to be sold. I mean, I don't think even traditional publishers know. That's why they give these random advances out because they're like, I was guessing. Rather than setting the outcome as something you want, you may go, what's the processes that I'm committed to? You know, is it guest blog posting? Is it finding hubs of people who can champion your book? Is it appearing on podcasts? Is it a campaign to get people to write Amazon reviews for you? Is it something else? And then going, okay, if I've got these two or three or maybe four strategies, what am I going to do now? And what am I going to say no to that allows me to truly focus on that? So I'm sure our listeners are itching to know, and I am too, 200,000 copies. How did you do it? What was your process to market those books? The most complete answer I can give you is actually reference an article I wrote. So about four weeks ago, so maybe sometime in April, on a website called Growth Lab, which is run by a guy called Ramit Sethi, who, by the way, is a fantastic online marketer. He's one of those people you should just sign up for his list just so you see how he does what he does. And this is an aside, Susan, but I'd encourage, if you're interested in marketing, you should be on the mailing list of everybody who you think does an interesting job marketing to people online. I mean, I'm on the mailing list of Brendan Burchard, Ramit Sethi, Michael Hyatt. In part because I'm kind of interested in the content, although not always. I'm always interested in how they're marketing and seeing what I can steal and adapt and learn from that. So anyway, I wrote a book. I think it's called How I Sold 180,000 Copies of My Book. It's on Growth Lab. It's really comprehensive. It's like 8,000 words. So I really put down all the tactics that worked and a bunch of tactics I tried that didn't work. And I really, I really shared all I can there. 
If you're interested, that could be a useful resource. If you like it, share it with your other authors and pass it along. Some of the things that have worked for me, I tell you a couple of things that really mattered. One I've already talked about, which is trying to figure out what success meant. What was I looking for for success? One of the things that became clear to me is that I wanted my book, The Coaching Habit, to be considered a coaching classic. In other words, when somebody said, hey, do you have a good book on coaching? I wanted my book to be one of the three books that could get mentioned. Here's why that was really helpful for me, Susan. It got me over the launch anxiety. Because, you know, we all have this thing around, oh, it's my launch date. I've got to invest my entire, I've got to open my wrists and bleed into the ground to make my launch thing happen. And most launches are a little anticlimactic and a little disappointing. The danger is it's like you've invested everything into the launch. You collapse exhausted at the end of your week's campaign. The book has a little surge and then it starts dropping down Amazon or however you measure sales. And you're like, ah, I'm so done with this book now that you kind of give up on it. One of the critical things that mindsets for me is going, I'm going to market this book for three years and persistence is going to trump a whole lot of sound and fury signifying nothing in that first launch week. I want the launch to be good. I did a bunch of things to try and get people to pay attention to it. The bigger win is to be still talking about and marketing and banging the drum on the book 14 months later. So that's been a really key plank in the strategy. It was actually a mindset rather than an actual tactic. What else did you do that is something simple that our listeners can put into practice once they finish listening to this incredible interview. Here's what I see happen in a lot of traditional book publicity. Your publicist, if you have a PR person, and honestly, I think hiring a PR person is an utter waste of time almost always. But if not your PR person, then your publisher, if you're a traditional publisher, you know, they've gone, okay, we're doing some launch for you. And they just have a list of people and they send out a whole bunch of books to those people, hoping that somebody pays attention. And they put out a press release. Michael Bungay Senior has a new book out. It's a book about coaching. It's fantastic. If you like books about coaching, you'll like this book. First of all, that's a terrible press release because nobody cares. Honestly, nobody cares that you've got a new book coming out. Your mother does. Your spouse is now pretending that he or she cares. Your kids don't care. Nobody cares. You've got to find a way of making it news. You've got to find a way of it being a story. First of all, if you're going to put out news about your book, find the story that somebody can tell because your book coming out is not a story and it's not news. Secondly, be really selective about who you send your book out to. So here's what I did. I thought about the authors who I loved who targeted a similar audience that I did, which is typically busy managers, and whose books had been successful, who'd got press and had been written about. So one of the first people who came to mind for me was a guy called Dan Pink. Dan Pink's written a, a number of really great books. My favorite of his is probably called Drive, which is about the truth about human motivation. What really makes people motivated? You know, How do you get people engaged? So it's like really sweet spot between that and coaching skills for busy managers, which is what the book is kind of focused on in part. And here's what I did. I hired a researcher. I went on to guru.com and put out a little brief and I said, I'd like somebody to do this research for me. And her job was to find the top 50 ranked articles written about Dan Pink's book drive 
and to find the name of the journalist who'd written that article and his or her email, if not her email, their Twitter handle. After a couple of weeks of somebody doing this research, it didn't cost a whole lot of money. It was like less than 100 bucks to come up with that list. We now had a targeted list of people to approach. And we wrote to each one of them individually by email and said, hey, Bob, love the article you wrote on Dan Pink's book, blah, blah, blah. And it was in, let's say, Fortune magazine. I want a new, This new book is a brilliant supplement to that. Dan Pink actually says it's and Dan had written a nice blurb for me about it. So he's like, Dan Pink says, blah, blah, blah. That would you be interested in getting a copy of this? More than 50% of people said yes. And more than 50% of those people ended up writing articles about the book for us. So it was a much more targeted outreach to writers and bloggers and podcasters. And it was successful not only because it was targeted, but because we were just really persistent we would follow up and then we'd follow up and then we'd follow up and we'd say, hey, have you read it yet? Hey, do you want to write something? Hey, have you read it yet? Hey, do you want to write something? Hey, have you read it yet? Hey, do you want to write something? For instance, I get sent books fairly regularly by publishers and that's it. They never follow up. They never ask if I've read it. They never ask if I'm going to do a podcast. They never ask anything about it. They're like, that's it. My work is done. I sent a package. The package is easy. The persistent following up, that's the tricky thing. Just as an aside, one of the things that's in that long article that I told you about, I actually share that you can download the scripts I use to actually reach out to the various people so you can take that and adapt it and adjust it to make it work for you. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Did I cut you off? <laughs> no, no. Uh, you saved everybody from me monologuing. So save us all, Susan. No, I'm definitely going to put that article. I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. So Brilliant. Yeah. That, that'll be very helpful for our listeners. Thank you. I love that strategy. It's the first time I've heard it. I've been doing marketing for many, many years, and I love the strategy. I'm going to use it. Cool. Let me give you one other tactic or one point of view around stuff, Susan, just to, to round out the, what I've said so far. It's the who do you get to write a blurb for your book? Because lots of us chase famous people to write the nice blurb. Like you're like, look at these famous authors and they've all said my book is awesome. But here's what I've learned. Almost nobody cares about blurbs. Almost nobody. I think it can be a bit of fake marketing to go, look, I've collected 20 blurbs about why my book is amazing. Because your readers really don't need 20 blurbs. Get two or get three. Get the three very best you can and then go, brilliant. My blurbing is done. Now I'm going to think about how to get this book into people's hands who are influencers. When you say blurb, are you referring to like testimonials for the book or reviews? Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know, the stuff you see on the inside pages or the front cover. Brilliant, insightful. I love this book. I've given it to my friends, says Bob Smith of something or other company or whatever it might be. I always love to talk about mistakes, common mistakes that you see people make in this environment. What are some that you could share with us? Here's one possibility. I mean, we all make mistakes all the time, but you know the saying, Susan, the best time to plant an oak tree or an acorn that will grow into an oak tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. I think that's the way to think about your book marketing. 
which is as you stare at that blank sheet of paper that is going to become your book, now's the time you start thinking about the marketing of it. The more you can build the marketingness into your book, the more robust your marketing will be rather than going, hey, I finally got across the line. I finished my book. It's in copy editing. It's brilliant. All right. Now, how am I going to market this? Like I say, if you haven't done it before, start today, but start as soon as you can. As a tactic that I used in Do More Great Work, I reached out to five or six people and I asked them to write guest columns for the book. So some of these are people who are still famous, like a Seth Godin or a Michael Port. Chris Guillebeau was one of them. Leo Babauta of Zen Habits was another of them. I kind of went, who are people who have a big platform who I can feature? So they're kind of stars in their own right. They get to appear in a book, which is great for them. But who might then go, hey, Michael, I might mention this book to my tribe when the book comes out. And it means that when I put the book up on Amazon, I go, Michael Bungay-Stania with guest contributions from Seth Godin and Michael Port and Chris Guillebeau, so that when people look up Seth Godin on Amazon, my book actually appears shortly after all of Seth Godin's books actually appears. That's one of the ways I baked marketing into the structure and the design and the thinking of Do More Great Work, even as I was creating it. The sooner you think about marketing, the sooner you think about who you're writing this for, the sooner you think about how will this hook them. You know, one of the things that happens in the coaching habit is there's all sorts of encouragement to go and actually check out very practical, very useful videos that are on my book site, thecoachinghabit.com. And that's deliberate there because I want to be of service. I want to give people additional information. I also want them to get onto my website and then get onto my mailing list so that I can start building a relationship with them and engage them like that. Baking in the marketing so that you're truly in service to the person who's reading your book can be a really powerful thing to do. And I think it's a common mistake that people don't start doing that early enough. So you mentioned all these famous people. Are these people that, who you knew before or are they people who you established a relationship as a result of writing the book? It's a combination of those things. What's a great insight that Susan's just kind of sharing with you is you figure out who you want to build relationships with and build them now before you have to ask them for a favor. Seth Godin wrote something for me. I'd been emailing him back and forth for two or three years before I asked him to do that. Leo Babauta, I'd had him onto my podcast twice before I asked him to do that for me. So I'd helped them and I found a way to contribute to them. One core insight is that most so-called famous people are far more accessible than you might think. You know, you just like look up their email, send them a note, send them another note, follow up with that note again, resend that note, and you'll either get a no, go away, or you won't hear from them at all. But often enough, they're like, okay, how can I help? What would you like from me? But obviously, the more you can build that relationship beforehand, the less transparent and transactional that it feels because nobody wants to feel like you're just writing to me because I'm famous. It's interesting. Seth Godin's very approachable and he actually wrote a testimonial for my Riches and Niches book. I was blown away. But right. It it's was awesome, like, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it really is. It's fantastic. So thank you. How can our listeners find out more about your services? Well we have a very niche company. 
what we do is we typically offer training to managers, busy managers and leaders in bigger organizations typically, so that they can coach in 10 minutes or less. Our website is boxofcrayons.biz, B-I-Z or B-I-Z, depending on where you are in the world. And there's all sorts of information there. What might be most interesting for people listening right now is actually the coachinghabit.com website, because that's where you'll find information about the book. It's probably just worth checking out from a marketing point of view. So what do you see working on that website that is compelling or interesting or that you can use, adapt, steal, work for yourself for your book and for your book's website? There's a ton of free videos, some download reports, first one or two or three chapters you can download. There's a bunch of free resources there as well. So please help yourself to that if you'd be interested. I will highly recommend that our listeners go to the website. I absolutely love the videos where you're asking people what their favorite question is. Right. I thought that was priceless. And I believe everybody should invest in your books because there's so much great information in there that I believe you can adapt to any environment. So go ahead, listeners, buy Michael's books, and I will put a link to all of those in the show notes as well. And Michael, if you could leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? I think the the ongoing mantra for me is get good at saying no to a bunch of stuff, and then say yes to a few things that really matter. That matters if you're writing, if you're working in, in life, in book marketing. It's like have the courage to focus, have the courage to say no so that your yes is really land with clarity and power and determination. Priceless information. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you all listeners for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week.